Have you ever heard the phrase, the bystander effect, Mark? Uh, yes, I have. Uh, let me reach into the old memory here and try and uh, see what I think it might mean. I think, <laughs> I think the bystander effect is the social phenomena whereby if there's a disaster happening or if somebody is getting fucking murderized in front of you, uh, you won't do shit because you'll wait for somebody else to do shit. That's essentially the idea. You're missing one key component of it, but that is the idea. It's, the it's, it's in that, yeah, that realm. The bystander effect is essentially the idea that groups are less likely to help someone in trouble right. than a lone individual. And part ah. of that, of course, being that you might think, well, I don't have to do something because someone else will yes. do something. Yes, yes, yes. And I'm curious... In, you know, your knowledge of what this is and everything, um, was there a particular story you ever heard of associated with the bystander yep. effect? Yep, what certainly. I I could not quote names or places or dates, but I, <laughs> I, I certainly remember reading the tale of a, a female, I believe, who had been quite badly fucking, you know, attacked and... and Badly, badly messed with and yet passed loads and loads of people and nobody did shit. Is that right? That's, again, that is the the idea, yeah. the basic yeah, yeah, story yeah. here. Um, you are referring, of course, to the 1964 murder of 28-year-old Kitty Genovese. There you go. Thank uh, you. Yes, 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 yes. yes. <laughs> Which was allegedly comprised of three separate attacks before she was finally killed and witnessed by 38 people, none Fucking of whom called the police. What? Is that in itself a crime? Can you just, is is that a crime to? No, it's not. It's not a crime. Okay. <laughs> but here's how the New York Times wrote about the event about two weeks after it happened. Mm. For more than half an hour, 38 respectable, law-abiding citizens in Queens watched a killer stalk and stab a woman in three separate attacks in Kew Gardens. Mm. Twice the sound of their voices and the sudden. What in the UK? No, 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 this is in Queens. Fine. Kew Gardens, Queens. Yeah. Got you. Um, twice the sound of their voices and the sudden glow of their bedroom lights interrupted him and frightened him off. Each time, he returned, sought her out, and stabbed her again. Not one person telephoned the police during the assault. One witness called after the woman was dead. That was two weeks ago today, but Assistant Chief Inspector Frederick M. Lusson, in charge of the borough's detectives and a veteran of 25 years of homicide investigations, is still shocked. Yeah. He can give a matter-of-fact recitation of many murders, but the Kew Gardens slaying baffles him not because it is a murder, but because the good people failed to call the police. As we have reconstructed the crime, he said, the assailant had three chances to kill this woman during a 35-minute period. He returned twice to complete the job. If we had been called when he first attacked, the woman might not be dead now. Mm -hmm. The article goes on to describe how she screamed for help, shouting, I'm dying repeatedly, and how lights came on all over the building from people hearing her, but still no one called. One resident is quoted as saying that eventually he did call much later, but that he, quote, didn't want to get involved. We'll return to that. Mm, please. The police again and again in the article chastised the public, saying repeatedly that they could have stopped this crime had someone just called them. But Mark... If there's anything we should recognize now in 2023, it's that police be lying. And the official narrative far exaggerates the number of witnesses and downplays the fact that the police I were see. in fact called, but simply failed to act. 
Ah, I see. Yeah. Now that's an angle I didn't know. That's I know. that's I a new watching, angle. This I is new. This is new. I getting deeply angry at these people here, mm. uh, getting flustered thinking about all these people watching this. Well, so let's fuck. go. Let's go backwards a little bit for context here. And and just so you know, you not knowing this part of the narrative is very normal. If you ask most people about the bystander effect, including psychologists, yes. they will take that narrative as true. It is in most graduate psychology books. And the oh. other name for bystander effect is the Kitty Genovese effect. Oh, I love um, this. Yes. So <laughs> this is something that um, is only in the past, like, decade, two decades, starting to really be Right. Corrected. Okay, 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 cool. Yeah. So, context. Just as an aside. Yeah. So it, and I, I'm, maybe I'm jumping ahead, but it, so is the bystander effect not really a thing? We'll get there, but it is a thing, but mm. not quite as it's construed here. I see. Okay. Yeah. So mm. I will get to that though. Please, let's go. <laughs> so Kitty Genovese was born and raised in an, an uh, 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 Kitty Genovese was born and raised in an, uh, I, it's really a hey, lot of ice. Where was so she born ice. and raised? In an Irish and Italian American neighborhood yeah, yeah, of yeah. Brooklyn called in Indonesia Park Slip. in an igloo. <laughs> it's hard. There was so many eyes. Um, which, by the way, her last name being Genovese and her being from Brooklyn, I do wonder if she's related to my cousins who are Genovese's from Brooklyn. But anyway, <clears throat> wouldn't surprise me. And yeah. I, I don't even think that would be that hard to track down. Yeah, it's probably not. But. Okay. I only, uh, yeah, <laughs> I have no real reason to look that up. Anyways, uh, she was a popular student at Prospect Heights High School, where she excelled in English and music and won class cut-up in her senior year superlatives. Real funny gal. Nice. I like that. Class clown. Yeah. In 1954, when Kitty was 19, her mother witnessed a murder in the city, which freaked her out enough that the family, which included four siblings besides Kitty, decided to move to New Canaan, Connecticut. The Burbs. Hmm. Uh, Kitty didn't go, though. At the time, she was about to be married to uh, an army guy, um, was about to be married that October. They did get married. It didn't last very long. They annulled it soon after and were officially divorced two years later. And there's a pretty good reason that marriage didn't work out. That also explains why Kitty stayed in the city instead of going to the suburbs. Kitty Genovese was gay. Ah, I see. Yes. Okay. Secretly, obviously. So she got her own apartment in Brooklyn and got a job as a bartender while also doing some bookmaking on the side. A thing that got her briefly arrested in 1961 oh, that and was a, cost that, her that bartending that was a, job. That was a hustle, was it, in the 60s? Yeah. Run a little book, <laughs> a little yeah. book under the bar? Nice. Exactly, yeah. And she uh, she was taking bets from the patrons hey, You want to bet on bar. sports, you go see Kitty. Exactly that. And, and apparently one other bartender, a female friend of hers as well. Both of hey, them buddy. doing this bookmaking. You know where I can she was... uh, place a little better in here? <laughs> hey, yo, you go see Kitty. That's uh, exactly how it happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I imagine it was like a lot less secretive than that. Uh, <laughs> and that's probably hey, yo, why Kitty! she got arrested. This guy wants to place a bet. <laughs> let me put let me put three bucks on the Yanks. That's probably how this went down. Nice. Um, so... Uh, she was arrested, I think released pretty much immediately. Um, all the patrons in the bar were fined 50 bucks for gambling, uh, and she was fired. Um, <laughs> funny enough, 
Well, most of the time when you see mugshots used in true crime stuff, it's to make someone look like a villain, even if they were like the good guy. This notoriously Mm. happens when like black people are murdered in the streets. Um, Kitty's mugshot from her arrest is actually the most famous picture of her because she looks like an absolute delight. It's like a really cute picture of her with her like tousled hair and a little Mm. smile. Um, So the picture that you probably have in your head when you think of Kitty Genovese, it's her mugshot. Mm. So being the charming, funny, and actually reliable person that she was, she bounced back quick with another job at Ev's 11th Hour Bar in Queens and eventually became the manager. And she was making great money there, about $750 a month, which is equal to about $6,800 a month now. That's a lot. (laughs) She was saving up to open up an Italian restaurant. Mm. In the meantime, she was a, com- a comfortable fixture on the NYC folk music scene uh, and in the lesbian scene. And it was at an underground lesbian bar in Greenwich Village called Swing Rendezvous that she met Marianne Zelenko. The two began a relationship and ended up moving together into a second floor apartment in Kew Gardens, Queens. Which, of course, you know, they were roommates as far as anyone yes, yes, was concerned. Mm-hmm. But but exactly one year after meeting her partner, Kitty was killed outside that very apartment. She would become the second murder victim of 29-year-old Winston Mosley, a married father of two who, on the night of March 13, 1964, was driving around with a hunting knife in his pocket looking for the perfect victim. It was just as he was about to call it a night around 3 a.m. that he spotted Genevieve in her car at a traffic light. She parked her car in the Kew Gardens LIRR parking lot, the LIRR being the Long Island uh, Railroad, which is basically New York City's commuter rail system. Yeah. Um, the lot was mere feet from her building, but in the time it took her to get from the car to the door, Mosley came at her with a knife and stabbed her in the back twice as she attempted to run from him. Son of a bitch. And it, it was just wrong place, wrong time for her. Exactly that. Fuck yeah. It that, wasn't like man. he'd been stalking her, looking after mm. her or anything. He was about to go home and was like, hey, wait a minute. That'll do. Um, obviously being 3 a.m., the neighborhood was quiet. There were no businesses open and nearly everyone was asleep. But when Kitty screamed, oh my God, he stabbed me, help me, a few residents awoke. And one, Robert Moser, called down, leave that girl alone. This spooked Mosley enough to flee the scene. And Kitty was able to get up and inside her apartment building where she collapsed in the vestibule. Mm. Now... Let's think for a minute in terms of the official narrative here. That's very different, isn't it? (laughs) Very different, right? Kitty is attacked and a few people heard some sort of commotion. Most people are dead asleep. It's New York. You hear people yelling and all that kind of stuff all the time. Someone called out. The attacker fled. Kitty got up on her own and went inside. As far as any bystanders could tell, the crisis was averted here. Yeah. In that first attack, everything seemed to be fine. So it's not really an indictment of the neighbors that no one called the cops. But also, as later research showed into what actually happened there, someone actually did call the police when they witnessed this part of the attack. They simply didn't follow up afterwards when it seemed the attack had stopped. So the police never came and that person never called again to check to see if they did. Mm. What none of the neighbors could have known was that Kitty had collapsed, barely conscious, in a hallway at the back of the building, completely out of sight of the street where she had been able to attract some attention before. She'd managed to make it inside, but there was a second locked door that she couldn't get through. 
and Mosley came back, a thing I imagine no one would have predicted to happen. You would think that once someone was seen, they would just yep. leave. Yep. Being completely shielded from prying eyes, this time Mosley stabbed her repeatedly, raped her, and stole her money. Oh, God. What a jerk. Yeah, yeah just terrible, terrible human being here. Who, like, maintained this facade of, like, very normal guy in his regular life, too. He had, like, a good factory job. Like I said, he, he had a wife and kids, and they lived in a house they owned mm. um, and was out doing this stuff. He later admitted to, like... He admitted to three murders, one of which he probably didn't do and someone else went down for, but like nine, eight or nine rapes and like dozens of burglaries. So Dead by now, surely? Uh, yeah, died in 2016. Okay, good. Um, so during the attack, Kitty cried out for help. And despite what the police had reported to the Times, several neighbors heard her and called it in. Again, the police simply did not come when they were called. It wasn't until Kitty's neighbor, Sophia Farrar, came downstairs to help whoever was in distress that any real aid came. And Sophia is a downright hero, by the way. She just raced right on down the stairs, not knowing what she was about to face. She had no idea whether the attacker had left or not. She just heard someone being attacked and just ran to help. She found Kitty barely clinging to life and called out for someone to call an ambulance before holding her in her arms until she died. Now, there was one neighbor, or one person who witnessed it, I should say, who really did shirk his responsibilities here and falls into this sort of category, I guess, of this bystander effect. This is a guy who worked in the building across the street. His name was Joseph Fink, um, and he saw the whole first attack happen, uh, did nothing, and after Mosley fled, rather than going and helping Kitty, who he could see across the street, um, mm. he took a nap. So... <laughs> Joseph Fink, no points for you here. And there was another guy whose role in this was not great, but also not villainous. Um, that other bystander was an actual friend of Kitty's, a gay man named Carl Ross. Ross was intoxicated and he heard the struggle outside and after some deliberation decided to crack open his door to look and see what was happening. There he saw Genevieve being stabbed by Mosley. And in a panic, he went back inside and called a friend who told him he shouldn't get involved. I think we'd be being very naive <laughs> to think this wasn't at least in part because he was gay. Mm. Knowing Kitty was gay, he had every reason to believe in 1960s New York that this attack might be motivated by her sexuality as attacks from strangers on gay people were super common at yeah, that time. Yeah, of course, of course. So he may have thought that he'd be in danger too if he interfered. Um, on top of that, police at the time were real fucked up about gay people, and he couldn't be sure that they wouldn't arrest or otherwise harm him as well. So Carl climbed out of his window and went to a neighbor's apartment, and it was there that he finally called the police after hearing uh, Sophia calling for someone to do so. He told the police, quote, I didn't want to get involved, a quote endlessly repeated in supposedly typifying the bystander effect. Uh-huh. They first interviewed Kitty's girlfriend about the murder, finding her drinking and being consoled by Carl Ross the next morning. And by the way, the cops did in fact arrest Carl Ross for disorderly conduct because they felt he was being intrusive to questioning. So his fears about what would happen if he called the cops were proven justified. 
The cops then spent six hours asking Marianne Zelanko invasive questions about their relationship and sex life that had nothing to do with what had happened, because of course they did. Ultimately, they were able to dismiss her as a subject suspect, but they continued questioning neighbors and fixating on the gay lifestyle. Mm. Had Mosley not been arrested for robbery a few weeks later and confessed to his many murders and rapes, the cops might have just chalked the whole attack up to some gay debauchery and let it go, much like mm. the stuff that we saw in the Dahmer uh, series. Yeah, you know, yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. These gays always getting into trouble. Yeah. So we don't really talk enough. Oh, go ahead. But this, uh, as you've been... As you've been talking, Nate, I've, I've been kind of just scanning articles about about this, and that that thirty eight people narrative is still that's that it's is everywhere. still very much the line. That's still very much yeah, the story. You have to kind of know that mm. that's not true in order to look for articles that don't say that, because it's still like books as well. Mm hmm. Exactly. It's so deeply the narrative at this point. I mean, it created this entire concept of the bystander effect. Yeah, sure. Um, people have made a lot of money <laughs> off yes, of yes, that yes. as well. Um, and the guy who, who came up with the name the bystander effect wrote a book about it. Like I said, it's in psychology textbooks to this day as if it's true. Even though, I mean, the first study, I think that like, I mean, people started questioning it within a decade or two of this. But uh -huh. for sure, by 2007, there was already a study that pointed out like, <laughs> That's not what happened here. <laughs> this is absolutely not true. This is not what the witnesses reported. Uh, the records show this is not what happened. People absolutely called the police. Um, and as far as we know, aside from Joseph Fink and um, Carl there, <laughs> nobody just like sat by and hoped someone else would call. Mm. So, yeah, we don't really talk enough about the fact that this is largely a case of police not only failing to respond to numerous calls, but then inventing a story that shifted the blame onto the neighbors. A thing they really didn't even need to do because the story barely was a blip on the news radar until their excoriation of the bystanders turned it into a scandal. Nobody was talking about this case. It was just another random murder in Queens. Um, and then they made it into something bigger with their lie. That said, in this case, some good did come from it. Kitty's murder actually helped to spur the creation of 911 as a nationwide number for emergency calls, rather than having to call your local precinct directly when you Ooh. needed help. Yeah. Is that what you had to do until the 60s? Yeah, until the 60s, well, well, you had well. to call your local precinct, your actual local police mm. station, uh, as opposed to 911. There were a few places around the United States that had started to implement that kind of program, mm. um, but this sort of pushed it towards becoming a nationwide thing. Um, uh, we've had 999 since 1937. Oh, very interesting. Mm. Yes. Huh. I'm sure that's probably what it's patterned after. Mm. Um, although I will say we have improved upon it slightly because why is it the same three numbers? <laughs> Just so that kids can accidentally dial it. Come on. Uh, yeah, you make a good point. Get it together, Britain. <laughs> Rotary phones, though. That's true. It would be a lot harder to accidentally yes. do it with that, Which, but it might need you know, an update now. I, I even, I think, I think I've also heard, probably on a quiz show, that... It was nine 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 because just because that would be the most difficult number to yeah, dial by mistake it's from a rookie. Super phone. hard, yeah. 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 So that backfired. At the time you would have had to very intentionally do nine nine nine. Now I always read stories about like kids just accidentally calling because they hit nine three times. Mm. 
Um, but yeah, uh, also, there is some truth to the bystander effect, and experts have, as a result, come up with some hot tips on how to avoid it. Um, in fact, there are five steps that social, psych social psychologists John Darley and Bib Latani came up with to aid with the decision-making process when it comes to intervening in an emergency. Mm -hmm. Now, these five steps are basically been in, in a snap, not like a sit and ponder it. But yeah, uh, the first pen and paper out. Right, yeah. <laughs> the first is to notice something is wrong. Second, define the situation as an emergency. Three, decide whether you're personally responsible to act. Four, choose how to help. And five, implement the chosen behavior. So basically, the main part of that is to figure out if you if you are responsible to act on this and yep. how. Yep. Um, and that's a sort of way to get out of the paralysis of being like, oh, what now? <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. And just uh, someone else will do it. But <clears throat> as I said, the bystander effect refers to the phenomenon that groups of people are less likely to come to someone's aid than an individual. That said, the APA points out that research shows this tendency pretty much disappears in situations where there's a clear emergency or when someone is required to physically intervene in order to help. Studies by Latane himself and by other social scientists found that people tend to be pretty helpful if they think something is an emergency. Yeah, yeah. For example, in one study, students asked people if they could spare a dime and only 34% did so. But then they asked folks if they could spare a dime because their wallet had been stolen, in which case 72% ponied up. In another study using EMS data, emergency services, emergency medical services, it was found that, quote, the response of the bystanders directly correlated to the health severity of the situation. Mm. So when it comes to the bystander effect, it usually really comes into play if people don't know the thing that's happening is an emergency. Right. As soon as it escalates to the level that you can tell, like, someone's being murdered or someone's in danger in some way, largely people in groups actually will respond and oftentimes feel more backed up by the fact yes. that there's other people there. So there are a lot of things to be gained from knowing the truth behind the Kitty Genovese story. Uh, it caused a lot of change in the way America responds to emergencies and how we view our social responsibility around them. Uh, it is, until her murder, an actually pretty great story of how gay people in New York managed to survive and thrive and make meaningful, happy lives for themselves in yes. spite of major oppression. Uh, and it is an evergreen reminder that cops lie. And when they're blaming other people for their failures, you should probably go ahead and not believe them. Let me quote directly from my notes, if I may. Yes, please do. Fucking look at these nerds. Oh, mise-en-scene. I don't think anyone has ever said mise-en-scene in such a horny way before. The way I whispered the word sex cannibal recently. Worst comes to worst, Mark. I'm willing to guillotine you for science. Thank you. That's really, really sweet. It's cold so... outside, but my pancreas is talking to me. I'm fucking, <laughs> I'm gonna leg it. You know how I feel about that, Mark. I think you feel great about it. Uh, huge eye-opener, that. I know, right? Uh, it just makes one wonder mm. how many other stories <laughs> right Seriously. how many other tales that have had fucking you know social phenomena named after them and are being right. repeated yeah. as passed down as truisms yeah are horseshit 
Yeah, another one that when I was researching this, that uh, a particular psychology site was sort of equating with the same thing was Phineas Gage. Mm. Um, and I talked about this when I did my cold open on Phineas yeah, Gage. Yeah, 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 that yeah. like one you of know, my favorites. The, yeah, it's a great one. And that, like, the sort of story that got passed down about him was that, like, oh, his entire personality changed and he became ragey and all this kind of stuff. When it was, like, the actual story behind that, like, you know, it, he held down a job. It's, yeah, he worked yeah, yeah. with animals. He seemed like, you know, he was able to take responsibility. Uh, there's not really any evidence that he became some sort of monster after that went through his head and yet again still that like if you're reading about this in psychology books and things like that or just coming across random articles about him not looking for the truth you're gonna find something completely different and i think that if i were to sum up this particular phase of jack of all graves because i think we've Mm. been through phases okay i think we've all we've we've kind of almost been through seasons of joag and i think if we if i were to try and sum up the phase that I think we're currently in right now, it would be that message of ask fucking questions for fuck's mm. sake, you know? Yes, yes, definitely. Uh, if something smells off. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really good point. 38 people, man. That, right. You like, say that I out mean, loud and you're like... If you, it's absurd. If you imagine 38 people. That's a fucking crowd right. of people. Yeah, exactly. All of them just like watching. Because that's the mm. kind of image you get is like just a whole bunch of people watching someone get oh, murdered. Yeah. And just like, yeah, gawking. <laughs> Nobody calling anyone as opposed to it being 3 a.m. Everyone's asleep. A few people seeing most of like those people calling <laughs> and the cops just not coming. Ask questions. Think for yourselves. How are you doing? Yeah. Corey, you all right? I'm, I'm doing pretty well. It's a beautiful Sunday. Yeah. Here in sunny Montclair, New Jersey. It's been a beautiful week. Just like great time to be out what and about. What could be better than being hot, but... sat in a waterlogged basement? <laughs> what could be better? Lovely day. Lovely day to How be sitting in a dank well, yeah, basement. But... Getting pneumonia. <laughs> yeah, it's one of my um, pastimes. Yes. <laughs> No, but it's 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 lovely. The rest of the day I spent, we have this um, couch in our oh, yeah, like yeah, dining yeah. room area. Have you heard of those? I know about those. Heard of it. Yeah, yeah. Are, you, are you familiar with couches? I know of the. Uh, <laughs> Do they the have those in your part seat? of the world? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, I realized I made, <laughs> made the couch different. sound exotic, but yeah. it, it's just, we have like a small couch that used to be in the living room, but was like too small for butts to be on. Like, it was tiny. We got a new one. So we put this couch in the dining room because it's kind of cute and it goes well with our yellow wall and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's perfect for when I'm doing Joag research because I can kind of sit on it like with my back against the, the arm and like my iPad's at a really nice level. And so yep. I just sat there tappity, with tap, 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 tappity tapping away with my dog in the nice sun with the plants behind me blocking it from hitting me. Is directly. that like that green oh, area that I often see you in? Green. It's yellow. Uh, no, there's definitely a part of your oh, home. Oh, you're thinking of like our patio that's like yes, green, so and then it's like an it's or a porch. Our back porch has a green like awning, um, like plastic, yeah, thing. like yeah, roof yeah, yeah. on it, um, yeah. and it makes everything look green. <laughs> it's just not super flattering to anything, but you know, it is what it is. What? <laughs> How have you celebrated <laughs> Mother's Day? Uh, I. Got my mom her favorite bagels this morning. Oh, okay. That's more than I was expecting. (laughs) 
<laughs> I, I'm a I'm a good daughter in spite of myself. Um, she loves this like this bagel place does like this really nice bagel sandwich with locks and capers and all that kind of stuff. Locks, locks, um, smoked salmon. Oh, okay, fine. Didn't yeah. Know that, but all right. <laughs> well, there you go. If you're yeah. from here, especially you know, it's a a Jewish thing. Um, as are all the bagels. So <laughs> yeah, they make this. Uh, it smells like death to me. It's full of all kinds of things that I hate. Um, but my mother loves it, so I bought her one of those and a bunch of bagels, and she was happy as can be. I'd love to hear that. And I hope that uh, if you're listening in the states, uh, I hope that you've treated your mother well. And I hope, for fuck's sake, you'll move your mother's day to being on the same day as ours, because <laughs> every motherfucking goddamn year, I oh, it's a Mother's Day, and then it's not. See, I don't know how you panic from... I do that when, like, you guys start talking about it, because yours is first. Like, yours was only, like, a month and a half or two months ago or whatever, right? So, like, clearly it's not time yet. Every goddamn year. (laughs) It's like, how much time has passed? Dear God. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) That feels on brand, though. Um, Yeah, I also spent part of today... um, just like researching things to do in New Jersey because Richard and um, Jen are coming. Beautiful. In two weeks. And I'm feeling a little stressed out because I feel like I need to like oh, you got, show you the best of, of New Jersey. Like it's That's not that I like. It's, at least a week you know and six I can days plan before things. you have to plan things. Yeah. <laughs> it's just that I'm like, there's so much to New Jersey. How do I show people in three days all of all we have to offer? Is it um, that much? What? What going on in New Jersey? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's because there's fuck all happening in Jersey. <laughs> like old where G- is Jersey? Jersey? Is that like a shore place? Is uh, that where is a? Yeah, it's one of the Channel Islands. It's oh, is it? Uh, I know I've said that, and I think I'm like <laughs> talking shite. It's an island. A... I know that much. Okay, for a second I was like, oh, I know about that. I read a book, and then I realized I meant Guernsey, not Jersey. Yes, so... you did <laughs> because of the Guernsey literary. Yes, it is. There we go. Thank fuck. I should have. Book gone with my instinct it's a channel island okay. uh it's the biggest one it's in between england and france and not a lot going on there not that i no 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 there's not it's quite a known for a slow pace of life are they known for cows jersey cows absolutely okay so got that going for them i like a cow oh you well you know i like a cow <laughs> so yeah there is that but no there's quite a bit going on in new jersey yeah um I guess that island must be our namesake, but yeah, I'm just, I was looking through things, coming up with stuff to do, which was exciting, but also daunting. Mm. Yeah. No, I think you'll be just fine. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, that is your attitude towards plans in general. <laughs> It'll be uh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> this is of... how we ended up with hotel rooms 40 miles from each other. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's good. Trip, <laughs> kind of like a sort of bystander effect of its own. Oh, sure. Yeah, I suppose so. You, know you just Somebody someone else will will, will take care this. of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they always have. Well, yeah. I mean, historically, it seems to have worked out. You've made it this far. Yes. <laughs> uh, I'm very fond. What about of you, Mark? What's uh, I mean, what's going on? I'm very fond of of uh, mentioning that the course of my life was determined by the the university that I went to, uh, which I chose. <laughs> Because it was literally the first one in the book. Oh, yeah. I guess starting with A.B. Yep. That, um, are there any but, other Abbers in Wales that have a university? Or is Aberystwyth the only one? Oh, that's a great question. I think it must be the only one. Okay, fair enough. Loads of Abbers in Wales, obviously. There are, yes. But 
I think Aberystwyth would be the only one with a university. Aberaeron, certainly not. Abergavenny, no. <laughs> Abergonolwyn, fuck no. <laughs> and they made it count in Aberystwyth, though, so. They did. Yes, they did. And thank you for asking. I'm doing great. Uh, it's been it's been uh, it's been a, a, another stressful but fun week. Next week is going to be Good. stressful but fun. Uh, outlook okay. for the next few weeks: stressful but fun. And <laughs> I'm oh man, I'm I'm within a month of Download Festival now. So I've started mm. to make plans. Bought a fucking tent. Uh, bought a tent and some <laughs> the stuff. The idea of you in a tent is very funny to me. Uh, why just... is that then, Corey? You're... Why don't Listen. you tell me about why that's funny to you? You're an indoorsy man. <laughs> yes, I. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> and yes. well, I know you like a good a good walk here and there, a nice yeah. pretty thing to see. Um, I also the enjoy... outdoors are, you know, oh, not the exactly your domain. So the idea of you pitching a tent out there uh, and mm. roughing it is deeply entertaining to me. Uh, well, I'm not going into this half-assed. Uh, oh, I've done some research good. on the kind of tent that I've bought. And nice. uh, I have asked one of Laura's friends, uh, because I don't have any around here. Uh, <laughs> I've asked one of Laura's friends if I can go into their garden for a little bit and practice putting the tent up. That's very. That's a very smart thing to do. Exactly. Uh, what I don't want to do is turn up like a dickhead. Because <laughs> uh, I did before. I t- the last download I went to in 2018 turned up like a dickhead. Sure. Um, but... You know, Seems my... like a good way to make friends, though, if you're like, oh, I oh, can't get my tent up. Mate, I made so many friends. <laughs> oh, I will <laughs> bet you did. I have no <laughs> doubt about that. Uh, and and you've got um, Dan coming with you, don't you? Exactly. Last time, Dan put my tent up for me. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> I was going to say, that's an outdoorsy man. Put... Um, oh, hugely outdoorsy, With yes. much tent experience. Yeah. So, um, worst case scenario. But this year... I'm going to put up my own tent and it's going to feel amazing and I'm going to get in it. Yeah, I, I hope. Please send like a celebratory. Do a, a Jack of all graves tweet, a celebratory. I put my tent up. I, w- I will. Tweet. Yeah, great show. Yeah, I would like I to will see a that. picture of you in your, yes. your tent accomplishment. I'll, I will be posting updates because I don't know what we're going to do that week because, you know, it runs through a Sunday. Uh, and I'm not. I'm not. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. But I'm not going to record a Joag on the Monday either. I'm going to tell you that now. <laughs> So. Uh, do you know how many things I put myself through to do a show at on time? I mean, and three? Is it four? <laughs> is it three four things. things. I put myself through three things <laughs> to record a Joe Egg. I will. My house can flood and I won't miss a Joe Egg. Oh, that's, hey, that is true. Mm-hmm. You've sat in electrified water up to now, up I to have, the tits. Yeah. Right. I'm just saying. With a snorkel on. <laughs> <laughs> it's bound to happen one of these days. <laughs> Just be like, okay, I'm doing this from underwater. Let's go. Hey, it, it's uh, Sunday, yeah. isn't it? It is Sunday. Yes, yes, we are on track. I love that. It feels that great. Feeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me see. Uh, shout outs to our good friend Anna and congratulations on getting your job, mate. We're really chuffed. Oh, yeah. Well woo, woo, woo. We never doubted you, but we're no, very glad. That you are working in those libraries mm-hmm. out there in the PDX. Very nice. Very pleased to hear that. Serving up all that knowledge. 
And it also gave us an excellent idea for our watch along that we will be having on yeah. Saturday, May 27th. So make sure that that is in your calendar. Look, um, it's, of- been, it's, been, it's been a few months since a watch along. So why not? Let's just dive the fuck in mm-hmm. with just one word, right? One word which completely illustrates and describes and evokes the genre that we're aiming for here. And that word is trash to peace. Partway through, you lost confidence that that was actually I the did. word. <laughs> but I stuck the landing. I fucking you stuck did. It. You d- you went with it. Stuck uh, it out. Touch and go for a second there. Trash to pieces. Movies mm. that don't set out to be bad. They're trying their darndest, yeah. uh, but in spite of themselves, are deeply yeah. bad. And yet. There is something in that that you have to respect. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Something that, that you like in spite of itself. Exactly. I mean, I think Pope's Exorcist kind of. Is That's that on is that one of them. That is a twenty twenty three trash to piece. <laughs> it really is. Uh, and uh, Anna has like a lovely letterboxed list as well of her favorite trash to pieces. One of the ones that stood out to me on there that needs to be in the poll mm. is the Lindsay Lohan vehicle. I know who killed me. Uh, okay. absolute classic Traster piece, mm. deeply trying to do something and failing miserably uh, in a heroic way. So and you, you know. know how much I love a noble failure. Exactly. So we'll, Mark will get a poll up as we get closer. Obviously, we still got some time yep. before that. But in the meantime, next week, Saturday, May 20th, is Book Club, book club book, book, for book, book Grady Hendrix's uh, How to Sell a Haunted House. Now, I'm only a little ways into this. Brienne texted the group chat the other day and was like, oh, God, this is the worst. Um, And then after some conversation, yes, we Uh. realized she didn't mean that the book was bad. She was like, the story is very good. It is even more violent and gross than that other Grady Hendrix book that we read. The one about the vampire hunters, yes. Yeah, exactly. So, um looking forward to being deeply grossed yes. out by uh, this Grady Hendrix book. So join us on our Discord. You know where to find the links, jackofallgraves.com or on our link tree. Uh, everything will be on the Discord this time. No Zoom worries or anything like that. So that way, even if you have a heart attack, Book right. Club can, they can still, still go ahead. Book club. Yes. Thank you for that example. Or <laughs> Could have been your bus like, was late. Oh, you get stuck in traffic. Yeah. <laughs> you know, something like that. Even if you die... Uh, you had some yes. dodgy salmon on your bagel. <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, what was that kind of ca- kind of salmon called again? Lox, L-O-X. Don't can use that one. Take that one with you. Gonna. Um. Oh, I wrote down in my notes for things to talk about this week. Tickled knee. Uh, and this is yes, because I am okay. dying for a bit more context yes. on this. So last week. Uh, if you recall, dear Joag listeners, um, Mark's cold open had to do with a family who was murdered, that there was clearly someone who was sort of fucking about in the walls out. Yeah, or, yeah, 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 hiding out in the house pervert. of this place. Um, so I'm sitting here uh, editing the podcast and there's like a box of books underneath my desk that I kind of use as a footrest. And so I'm just sitting here. Headphones in, feet on the box of, of books as usual. Mm. When I feel what distinctly feels like someone pressing their finger into the back of my knee and like scratching, right? Like someone like kind of like a tickle except firmer. 
And I immediately, like, well, first, just thinking, like, I didn't even know what to think. And it's kind of like when a spider is on you or something, you know, yeah, and you yeah, just kind of yeah. like slap. Bleh. So yep. I slapped and then there was nothing there, which freaked me out anymore because it wasn't like a gentle, like a, a bug crawling on you. It was like a human finger scratching at the back of my leg. And so then, of course, I was like, the fuck? And I jumped up and threw my heads, headphones off and, you know, checked everywhere around me. There's like a door to like my water heater next to me that does go out under our porch. Um, but like, you can't get through there. It's like tiny. Um, and I was like looking all over the place, trying to figure out like where this came from. And I had to like edit with my headphones off because I was like, if there's any, anyone, anything in here, I need to hear it coming next time. And I have zero idea what this was. So let's, Let's talk this through. Let's think yes, of every angle please. here because yeah. there's nothing that can't be explained. We know this. Everything has right. an explanation. Literally, just everything. because I can't explain it doesn't mean it can't be explained. So that is our. In, that's the thing we know. You're in. Tell me again. Which room? The one you're in right now. Right now. Yeah. Right here. Right. This basement. Okay. Uh, talk to me again in a little bit more detail about the sensation. Specifically, where was it? Which leg? My right leg. Right leg in the, the kind back of, the of my back of your knee. Yeah, exactly. Like right where it bends, just the backside. Yeah, Yeah, knee cleft. Whatever you call that no man's land on the back of your leg where it bends. And once again, to describe the sensation, you say it felt like a a human finger curling, scraping against the back of your knee. Right, exactly. How many times? Someone just kind of, hard to say because I slapped, but I would say maybe like, maybe like four or five times before I like really processed it. Yeah, because right. that was the thing is it's like it started happening and I was it was like a kind of weird. And then I was like, oh, God, what is that? <laughs> like I had time to think about it to go yeah. like, that's not a, a sensation so by the that time I should you, be feeling right by now. By the time you physically registered what it was, it had been it had happened like two it or three times. It had been happening for, yeah, exactly. This is good. Right. <laughs> so obvious questions first. Where was Gouch? Upstairs. He was, Definitely he was wasn't the dog. Definitely was not the dog. <laughs> Could it have been? A bug. Recently, I mean, they recently flooded. Yeah, right. Now, I looked, there wasn't one anywhere, and it would have to be a good sized one. Uh, so, if it was a bug, it was like tarantula sized and it moved very, very quickly. <laughs> and, and when I reached, I didn't feel anything either. So, it wasn't like I swatted anything. It was just air. It was just my knee when I reached. Sorry to have to say this word rat. <laughs> I'm not afraid of rats like other people are. Okay. Um, but well, I'm that not rat afraid of rats. Have... I've killed my fair share of them. But yeah. was it a rat? The, um, a rat would have had to have managed to like stand on its hind legs and reached up like a foot in order to to do that. Because <laughs> it's not my leg's not close to the floor. It's about yeah. I'm looking at it now. It's probably at, like 18 inches off of the floor. Uh. Again, that's quite a distance as well. 18 inches is like that. Yeah. Oh, what could it have been? I know, right? I'm like, who is doing this? Who is hiding in my walls, scraping me with things, Uh, tormenting me? Have you ever felt weird kind of phantom sensations before? Um. You're not, you know, you're a neurotypical. You've got connective situations. Right, yeah. Not like that, not like a firm one like that, you know, like, 
yeah, no, I can't say that I've ever had anything like that. I have pains, you know, itches, things like that, but I've never had like a feeling of something pressing and scratching before. You need Dr. Peter Venkman. That's what you need. I need Dr. Peter Around Venkman. Around your house, you need well, Pete and Yvonne yeah. and the boys. And listen, if if my whole family is murdered, this will be the thing that you start with. She was sitting yeah. at her, her desk, and it felt like someone scratched the backside of her knee that she couldn't find. What, what is the closest you can come to an explanation? Because right now, the only thing we know is that it was, it was something. Yeah, right. Exactly. I mean... Like, I think the closest I could come to an explanation would be, like, a phantom pain or a phantom mm. uh, sensation. Yes. Uh, it just, I've never experienced one like that before. Um, yeah. So, I mean, that's the best that I can come up with at this point. Because, like, I didn't see anything, but I deeply felt that mm. press and it was very jarring you'll never have an explanation only and i'm thinking about this only one time in my life mm. have i seen experienced witnessed been a part of something that to yeah. this motherfucking day i cannot explain oh go on i don't think you've i don't now, think you've mentioned this before right and what what all what makes it all the kind of more tangible and real is that i'm not the only person who was there and who saw it Ooh, okay right? yeah mm -hmm. so um i don't know if she still listens but my very very good friend mia right As, mm -hmm. uh, who you've met you know quite mm -hmm. well she's a friend of the cast and again in aberystwyth okay uh both her and i were sat in her flat mm -hmm. right and uh, i remember so 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 clearly uh, this isn't even like a memory of a memory but because this was such a singular memory i remember it crystal clear uh yeah. we were sat on the floor mm -hmm. uh, of one of the rooms in her flat and between us was a glass ashtray okay okay yeah uh now the ashtray hadn't been used it was clean there was nothing in it there were no sources of heat or convection or anything like that there was there was nothing in the ashtray all the stranger then, that it should spontaneously, before both of our eyes, ping, shatter. Oh. <laughs> Dude. Yep. Just break, cleanly break into three pieces. Bling. Cleanly into three pieces. Yep. And I remember it absolutely vividly. That is fascinating. Because I mm -hmm. wonder... Like, so I think, I can't remember if I've mentioned this because it really isn't related to anything <laughs> on this podcast, but I have this deep fear of blowing out candles in glass containers because oh. one time uh, there was a candle in a glass container and I leaned over to blow it out and apparently there is some property of the way that air can hit a, a candle that's on yeah. fire yeah. cause the entire thing to just explode into my face <laughs> and now and there's like a the that little desk thing right behind me has like a big burn mark in the middle of it where no. the candle exploded <laughs> like i know it's possible uh, to relight the candle by setting fire to the smoke sometimes you can you can kind of like oh, the vapor that comes off it i would never do that because i would be afraid of something like this mm. but now if i have a glass candle it has to have a lid so that i can just yeah, 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 smother yeah, yeah. the flame instead of blowing it but i wonder if there is like some weird property of glass that like some 
like whatever kind that was, the temperature or something like that in the Again, room. Again, you know, you're, the only it. explanation that I can reach yeah. for is that it was some kind of thermal issue. Some kind yeah, of it has thermal, to be like heat, right? You know, react some kind of fault line in the glass, you know. Sure, yeah, and that just you couldn't see. at that see. particular moment, was there maybe some heat coming from downstairs? Right, yeah, yeah, You know yeah. what I mean? Who fucking knows? Uh, yeah. But all I'm doing is reaching for possible explanations that I can... <laughs> right, because you'll never know, actually. away somewhere in my mind. What but happened? spontaneously, uh, an ashtray broke into three pieces between us. Just like you will never know what it was on that evening last week. Or if I do know, maybe it's going to have horrific ends as a result. Mm. Like the poor Gruber family. Yeah. And hey, I'd I'd love to turn this over to our listeners. You know, obviously Mm. we know that everything can be explained. Obviously we know that there's nobody (laughs) from the fucking shadow realm trying to reach back and touch us. (laughs) Obviously. Mm -hmm. Have you ever seen something that... and, And by seen, I mean... But with your own fucking two eyes You right. were there, it happened to you The story immediately fails If somebody told you it, right? This has to be something that you <laughs> yes, were of course. there for I'd love, right. to, I'd, love, I'd love to hear your What the fuck was that moment? I love those I have a mm. few of those myself um, But also if anyone has a theory mm. For my Phantom Scratch I would love yeah. to hear that too L- So listen, any of this Give us your what the fuck moments uh, if if we get any, I'll read them out next week, and we will postulate on what the causes would have been because Ooh, yes. we are jack of all graves, and this is our job. <laughs> we take that responsibility very seriously. Yes. Uh, did you watch anything this week, Mark? Uh, do you know? I've, oh, yeah, I've 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 had some really really good filmic experiences this week. Me too. Yeah, yeah. I had a really good good yeah. week of movies yeah. as well. Um, um, um do you want to do you want to go first? Uh, well, sure. Um, let's see. I first this week, uh, because it is kind of somehow saturating pop culture again in a way that I'm like deeply happy about. Mm. I rewatched Game Night, uh, which I absolutely love. Um, have you ever seen it? I've never seen it. I (laughs) don't know what it is. I've never heard of it. (laughs) Um, It's basically, so the premise of this movie is Jason Bateman and Rachel McAdams are a married couple who are extremely competitive and have these game nights every week with their friends. Um, Or maybe, yeah, this is starting to, as soon as you said Jason Bateman, something clicked. Yeah, Jason Bateman, uh, his Is he playing that character that he plays? Yeah, he he plays Jason Bateman. Um, And his competitive nature in this movie begins basically with his sibling rivalry with his brother Brooks, played by Kyle Chandler, getting to be like... The smarmy hot guy that you always wanted him to be, but he always they always cast him as if he's an everyman. Yep. Um, so uh, the premise of this movie basically is that Brooks sets up a game night, and uh, it's supposed to be like a murder mystery thing, a, a kidnapping whodunit, uh, and then he's really kidnapped oh, during this, and they have to go luck. and yeah, I know. <laughs> Can you imagine? Oh, the just timing. when he's faking his own kidnapping, he actually gets kidnapped. Just really poor planning on Brooks's part. Uh, and so they, you know, obviously don't realize at first that he's been kidnapped and try to carry on the game night. Hijinks ensue <laughs> as a result of this. Of course. Um, and I absolutely love this movie. And huh. um, Jesse Plemons is in it as just like 
one of the funnier characters I've ever seen in a comedy ever. And every time he's on screen, I'm just like heaving with laughter. (laughs) Um, And uh, this was, I cannot tell you how many times he has this one deadpan line in it that you may have seen gifs of where he says, how can that be profitable for Frito-Lay? And I think Richard and I said that to each other like every day <laughs> while I was staying with him. Oh, nice. Um, but yeah, so I, I rewatched Who'd that. Who'd you say? Rachel McAdams. Rachel McAdams, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of people in it. They're just kind of the, the center of, of the movie. Um, but it's super funny. If you haven't seen Game Night, I honestly don't know whether you would like it, Mark. Mm. Um, but I know a lot of our listeners would. Um, well, and I highly recommend it. I've been, I, I've watched several movies of its ilk, often against my will, but they yeah. often deliver a kind of a right. passable background entertainment. Horrible yeah. bosses, it sounds like it's in that kind of ilk, kind of that Yeah, vein. or did you ever see Date Night with I Tina Fey and Steve Carell? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of in that, like, they just keep getting into escalating trouble. Exactly. Is there maybe one yeah. with Jennifer Aniston? Probably. Probably. Yeah, I would imagine so. So yeah, it's kind of in that that realm of of comedy that uh, yeah, Rachel I think... McAdams being in it is a is a is a tick. Oh okay, well there you go, that. and she's very good in this. She's so funny, um, and she's got that cute little. I think her hairstyle is like well, Keo called it her true detective hairstyle, and it's like really oh, yeah, cute yeah, yeah. on her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I think. If this were a thing that you were like to sit down and not like maybe not focus your full attention on or whatever, mm. it would be the kind of comedy that you wouldn't mind. <laughs> um, for me, it just absolutely fucking kills me. Um, what so led you to watch night, it again? What circumstances did you watch it under? Again? Like I said, it's just been like in pop culture. Like Twitter is talking about game night all the time right now. So there's like constant game night memes and things like that all the time. And so like every day on Twitter, I see a game night thing and I'm like, God, I want to rewatch game night. And so I finally did. I am, uh, there's a, there's a particular movie, right? Which has sat in my library and I am <laughs> fucking desperate to watch it. And I'm, I'm again, I've seen it many, many times. I know it quite well, but I'm also desperate to watch it with Peter and I, Oh, okay. I just, I don't quite know if I can yet. Okay. What's that? Step Brothers. Oh, <laughs> I have never seen Step Brothers. Oh, fuck. And here's the thing is, oh. I would love to watch that movie. Um, everyone loves it. It has never been streaming on anything <laughs> in the past, like, 15 years since it's been out. If you and put so a simply fucking gun it. to my head, I couldn't tell you a funnier movie than Step Brothers. <laughs> I know, everyone says that. I also kind of am concerned that I've missed my window of it being funny, but nah, you I haven't. do want to watch you it. You haven't. Uh, there's, okay. I, can't th- I also can't think of anything that would that would let the air out of its tires. It's it's Okay. There's no window to find Step Brothers funny. It's just funny okay. as fuck. It is objectively <laughs> hilarious as shit. And right. it's such a fucking densely gag laden film. I love a gag. Oh man. But even if even You know if Dodgeball the... is my favorite comedy exactly. ever. So And that is bang ba 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 Um you know, <laughs> even if a gag fails, there'll be another one along in thirty seconds. Sure. Which you'll shit your pants over. It's very funny. And but I, it's, I, it's also quite blue, as they say. Well, so I, I mean, you know. that was that phase of Will Ferrell. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, I can see why you would be a little concerned about showing just, it to I, your I really think precious would, child. I think it would be right up his street. I mean, he's like 
practically a teen by now, right? Was he 12? Yeah, he's 12. He'd be 13 in April. I mean... April 4th. He's getting there. Not my son's birthday. You know? (laughs) Proud of you. Top dad. (laughs) Top fucking dad. (laughs) Don't call you a deadbeat. (laughs) (laughs) No, sir. And I know this. Because quite recently, uh, I was I was challenged. This isn't by... a thing you have to explain why you know. No, no. But, okay. <laughs> quite. Re- I can't. I can't remember what the circumstances were, but I was called upon to give both of my kids dates of birth in quite quick succession to oh. somebody official behind the counter, and I just reeled them off. I didn't even have to pause. <laughs> so I'm proud of you, Mark. You know, give it up. Uh, this is like a, a constant theme in your life, because also your brother was uh, quizzing you on what his last name yeah and obviously was. i know obviously i know I, um, I i i was very 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 tired so things weren't coming to my mind quickly but yes i know yes, what David um, is, of course. but i'm glad to to know that mm. when pressed these things come to you and I you know, know when kids. your children were born i'm so i'm a guy who knows his kid's birthday so pete's a double a four four yeah yes he is four four and my lucky number as well is that but right i'm a double Nine nine. No. Hey hey. And my dad was eleven eleven. Well well well. I was married on a triple eight eight eight. Aha! There you go. Uh, numbers, everyone. I what do you think I, of that? <laughs> I could have done that when I got married in oh uh, nine, but then it, my birthday would be my anniversary. And listen, I take my birthday very seriously, as, uh, as and it, should, I must be the everyone. only thing celebrated. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> on my birthday yeah uh so that was not gonna happen tell you what if i if i end up working on a birthday i have fucked up somehow <laughs> it's just wrong no fucking chance mate do i Mm-mm. do shit on my birthday no birthdays are important they are so. what did you watch uh right so we together we watched popcorn which was a we did watch, watch popcorn uh, yeah me. same Popcorn. So, uh, very early 90s, I want to say. Yeah, I think it was like 91-ish, somewhere in there. Um, Early in the 90s, enough that it's practically an 80s movie. Yes, and for those of you who haven't seen it, the plot uh, follows a uh, a, a kind of a movie society from a school who put on a horror film festival. Mm -hmm. um, Like a gimmick horror film festival with the Tingler, which will fucking set you, you know, your electric shocks in the seats and a fucking, you know, a, 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 mos- a giant mosquito which they sail through the theatre. Um, but it goes awry because there's a monster. Yeah, it's some sort of entity that uh, yeah. is masquerading as people in their lives, I guess. Yeah, so it, it, yeah. that's what they kind of hang this slasher movie around. I've always known Popcorn exists. I've never seen it. Mm-hmm. I remember vividly reading about it in Fangoria years back. I remember reading nice. about it in Fango going, oh, I've got to watch this, but never did. Yeah. Uh, I didn't really connect with it, though. I quite enjoyed it. Um, yeah. Like, I don't know if connect is the right word, but I felt like it's the kind of movie that I could rewatch. Like, that I could just, like, put on at any time and be like, this is a good time. I really like the characters in it. Um, my, like, thought process at the beginning of this was I was like, oh, I, I like everybody. I don't want anyone to die. Mm. <laughs> they're they're very fun characters. Um, I thought that it, like, 
I don't know, it had just enough of an explanation for what was going on to be like, okay, that works. And when you kind of get your monster reveal, I really liked the way the guy played it. I thought it was like a lot of fun and very campy and over the top. And you know, I agree. That, that worked for me. Everything you've said. Um, mm-hmm. I wonder if it... Because it, it, it's almost an homage to 50s, 1940s, yeah, right. 1950s creature features, RKO... Mm-hmm. Fucking giant mosquitoes. Uh, and the films within the films mm-hmm. are so lovingly made. And yeah. Because l- there are, there are like four those. films within films. Here. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, and I don't know if, it, if, if the film is more of a showcase of mm-hmm. those than it is anything else. Yeah, I think that's that's probably the case. It does kind of feel a little disjointed in that way when you finally yeah. do get your reveal yeah. of what's happening in this. That so you're like, eh. It feels totally different than what was happening throughout yes. the rest of this, which is a lot of fun as well. But that said, because, again, I liked the way it was sort of played and, you know, you got some pretty fun um, uh, effects in this yeah. that yeah. I really enjoyed. That Yeah, I thought it was a thing I'll revisit for sure. Uh, I will not be revisiting it. but <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but I don't know. It's a curious, it's a curious one. It I, is, yeah. I think they've they've hung... Uh, a kind of a walk down the memory lane of horror on a slasher <laughs> film and not the other way around. I think I think the slasher That's fair. bit suffers for the homage. I think it's more of an homage than it is anything else. Sure. Yeah. I, I yeah. wouldn't necessarily disagree with that, but I enjoyed Popcorn. Good. I think it's worth watching. You know, it's not like a, this is going to... I'm sure I'm going to be mad you spent your time anyway, so... <laughs> yeah. Everyone listening is like, yeah, 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 get past this one. We've already... We know this. No, I'm a... I'm a... When it comes to movies, right... More and more often these days, I find myself just giving into my whims, right? Mm, yeah. And I don't, for the fucking life of me, can't think why. But for some reason, I think it was yesterday, in fact. It was yesterday. For some goddamn reason, nothing was more important to me yesterday than I had to watch The Terminator. I just <laughs> simply had okay. to watch The Terminator. Uh, sure. So I did. I found a nice, tarted up 4K version. Nice. Um, I, and I got Peter and Owen to watch it with me, right? Have they seen it before? No, they have not. Oh, amazing. And I haven't had one of these moments in a while. I haven't had one of these watching movies again vicariously through young eyes yeah. moments that I adore so much. And this was one of them, baby. Oh, my God. <laughs> it hits. It hits. Amazing. Oh, God, it's so fucking good. Um, It's five stars and I can count every single half why I'm, why I'm awarding them, you know? <laughs> Of Talk about iconic. Talk oh, you have a problem. About iconic. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a movie which doesn't even fucking ah. The subtext in the film is it, it's it's barely even a subtext, right? The 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 cinematography and the framing. It's so fucking clear. Just that iconic shot of Arnold cocking his Uzi in front of the sign Tech Noir. <laughs> well, what, are you, what are you what are you trying to say here, Jim? What are you, what are you saying to me here, James Cameron? It's A cab as fuck. True. That it's is definitely true. A cab as shit. All of the cops are either idiots or they are <laughs> uh kind of burned outs, uh you know, fucking pencil pushers, which our good friend the Terminator systematically just slaughters his way through. It's A right. cab as fuck. Um it's also hey, here's a revelation. It's okay. a slasher. It's a fucking slasher. That yeah, you're not wrong actually. It is. And this this occurred to me like 
crystal clear halfway through. I was like, holy shit, it's a fucking <laughs> sci-fi action slasher movie. You know, yes, he, yeah. he works through all of these other Sarah Connors. He mm-hmm. works through Sarah's housemate and her boyfriend. Goes yeah. through all of the fucking, you know, all of the cops. It's a slasher <laughs> movie. It's an 80s slasher film. Yeah. And when, I mean, look, Terminator began to become more and more kind of lighthearted and family and comedic after this. Right, yeah. But the Terminator in this film, particularly when he sustains a little bit of battle damage towards the end, and he's his skin is fucking glistening and clammy, <laughs> and you know that he'd be cold if you were to touch him. Right. And he stinks, and he's fucking fly-blown, you know? <laughs> uh, and... You know, you'll all have seen the Terminator a zillion times when he hijacks the truck at the end uh, mm-hmm. and he goes through this prosthetic kind of process. Um, he looks like a fucking zombie, man. He looks right. like an unstoppable yeah. meat hanging off his face. Just that one red eye. He looks like a fucking undead. Fucking. Ah, oh, it's so good. It is so goddamn good. And the kids were on board. Ah, oh, what? I got a cracking film out of Owen. <laughs> I love yeah, that he says which that. is something you don't you don't get often. <laughs> Cracking film, amazing. Um, and I've told him, uh, you know, next we're going to watch Terminator Two, and it's as good, uh, but it's bigger and it's huger and it's more insane. Yeah, if they are like most kids at the time that it came out, they'll like it even more than the first one. I certainly did. It was. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I think I'm right in saying it was the first movie I saw. Uh, like in a in a in a well kitted out multiplex with kind of Dolby sound and shit like that. Nice. And uh, I was never the same again. I think it's fair to say. Mm. <laughs> Changed you as a person. Yes. I love Isn't that. it amazing? Isn't it amazing how fucking careers go? How auteur careers go in cinema, where it's he's true. he's now making billions of dollars. And making no <laughs> cultural impact yeah. at all. <laughs> he changed your life as a as a child, and Whereas, now you can't yeah. remember what happened in his movie you watched last week. Incredible! What a Amazing. trajectory! Happens too often, my friend. Happens too mm. often. And so, um, uh, yeah, a week of first watches. My first time watching popcorn. My first time, and again, I where I got the idea of watching this, I don't know. Uh, Alex Prius is. Uh, 90s sci-fi dark city i can't believe you had never seen this before like if i had known that i would have been like oh you gotta watch this This, you're gonna Mm. love this movie (laughs) my family watched it all the time it was like one of the first dvds that our family purchased yeah and it was a fixture in our home Uh, i i i remember like it coming out uh, just as I was in uni, I think, and, and, and mm. everybody recommended it. Everybody said it was it was one to watch. For some reason, just one of those that slips through the cracks, passed me yeah. by. Yeah, uh, didn't see it till forty till age forty four, and incredible. Uh, yeah, right. I don't know if I'm overstating this, right? But it it it, it feels as though there was a, a kind of a, a really small moment in the nineties where there was some really fucking stylish kind of visionary, artistically visionary, really clear vision, Orwellian kind of sci-fi. I'm thinking mm-hmm. I'm thinking of things like Equilibrium. Sure, yeah. See Equilibrium with, yes. with the Bale. Right. Um, yeah. then you've got <laughs> with the Bale. Dark City with the Sutherland. Uh, mm-hmm. let me think, what else would I put there? Maybe some of Cronenberg's latest stuff, Naked Lunch. 
I have never seen that, but I'll take awesome, your word awesome, for it awesome, on that awesome. one. And then, of course, The Matrix. Right, yes. <laughs> you know, the, the, there was something going on in, in sci-fi and action films in the mm-hmm. 90s where it, it was brave as fuck. And it, it, it makes me wonder where the fuck... It makes me wonder where Alex Proyas is now. Um, <laughs> That's a good question, actually. I did tweet um, him uh, a, a year or two ago and ask him if he could sort out a 30th anniversary remaster of The Crow. He didn't get back to me. You'll be shocked uh, to learn. Sorry. Sorry um, to hear that. Is there anyone listening who hasn't seen Dark City? I'm not expecting you to reply. I won't be able to hear you. <laughs> but if you haven't, please do watch it because... Mm. Fuck and and think of it in its historical context. Nineteen ninety-eight, right? A huge fucking swing. Some proper heavy sci-fi here. The plot, and I'm trying my best to put this together. So, yeah, you've seen it loads, right? Let me know if I've got this right. Uh, you know how I am about plots of things, but sure, yeah, I'll see what I can do so here. So there's there's aliens, yeah, mm-hmm. and they are trying to get. They're trying to put their finger on what what is the nature of humanity. What is the human soul? Now, these aliens, in a kind of a Herbert, Frank Herbert-esque kind of way, they can manipulate space and physical properties of space with their minds, a process which they call tuning. So they've got a group of humans, uh, and they've kind of made a, a, a kind of a, a city prison around them. Not that they know about it, but they're all trapped in this kind of yeah. prison of reality, which every night at midnight, this fucking crew, all of, all bald men, all in kind of Cenobite fetish gear. <laughs> you know what I'm, you know, you yeah, can, you yeah, can get That's a good assessment, yep. Richard O'Brien in, in a Cenobite fetish outfit. That's what these aliens are. <laughs> Uh, every night at midnight, they change the city's streets and buildings, and they inject new memories into study groups of people to see how they cope with the the the, the psychological kind of disconnection and weirdness that, are, that that comes out of that. And there's one guy who, in 2023, would totally be played by Oscar Isaacs. Totally, would yeah. Be oh, 100 percent, a yeah. zillion percent. Um, who has. Shut up, Siri. Fuck. <laughs> Siri is always interrupting me. There's this guy who in 2023 would always be Oscar Isaac. Um, and he can do the same thing that the aliens can do. He can tune reality to his surroundings as well. Kiefer Sutherland makes some very strange performance choices. <laughs> well. Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, I I mean, yes. <laughs> I don't know that I'm thinking of like a specific moment, but in general, yes, no, is, that's true. Is Kiefer Sutherland's he plays like a, a a human academic slash biologist professor who's the slave, the little lapdog of the, of the society <laughs> of Richard O'Brien fetish outfit weirdos. <laughs> if you've if 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 you've not seen Dark City for a while, just play a five ten minute burst of Keith Sutherland's performance, and he he speaks in this very strange vocal cadence for the entire film. Yeah, uh, and I don't know why, and I and I and I I I feel as though at some point Alex Proyas would have gone. Thanks, Kiefer. Could we try one without the voice? Yeah, maybe tone it, take it back. Where was he from? Is he Russian? Kiefer, could we try one without the voice, please? I don't know where our voice is from. <laughs> I don't know. I have no idea. Uh, 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 uh. You know, some of the choices he makes in The Crow are the same kind of choices he makes in this, in Dark City. Huge kind of alcove windows in apartments. That's something that Alex Proyas is very fond of. Um, swooping cameras over dark gothic rooftops. That's another thing he likes. 
Uh, where is he now? I'd love, I'd love him to come back. <laughs> yeah, now I'm actually curious also as to mm. what nationality he is. But I uh, seem to remember uh, when we talked about nightmare movie sets that the clusterfuck that was the crow had quite a nasty impact on him, which you could imagine. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> By the way, like uh, IMDb has like changed its like set up its entire layout and everything and yeah. it's so difficult to like find and click on anything I on wonder, it now it drives me absolutely fucking mad i wonder if they are shitting themselves about letterboxd as they should be yeah that's probably the case because i have mostly stopped going to imdb and i just go to yep. letterboxd for everything exactly oh go change something uh, quick um well holy shit he directed i robot who knew well, there you go, which I enjoy, but a lot of people don't like. Um, do he was born it. to Greek parents in Egypt and moved okay. to Australia. Holy moly. That's an accent yeah. I'm not even going to attempt. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even, yeah, I don't even know. Ooh, he also did Gods of Egypt. Yikes. Oof. Ah, but he's allowed to. If his parents are Egyptian, he's allowed to do that. <laughs> that really explains a lot right there. Oh, he did? Well, well, well. No, his parents are not from Egypt. They are Greek, and he was just born in Egypt. Oh, I see. Well, that's appropriation. Yeah, that's a... Yeah, there it is. So, uh, I don't know. Maybe is... you don't want him back as much as you think you do. Knowing with Nicolas Cage, you know the one where he thinks he knows how the world's going to end? I know the poster, but I've never watched it. That that era of, of Nicolas Cage is he's just coming off of that kind of national treasure, uh, yeah. con air kind of phase. Yeah. And he's sliding into some <laughs> kind of obscurity. Yes. That we're we're moving into tax problems cage at there we that go. point. There we go. Yeah. And we're still yet a few years away from the glorious rebirth. Yes. Uh mom and dad, Mandy, that Nicholas Cage. Yeah. Leading him now to the golden god that he currently is. Which reminds me of a movie I did not I apparently did not log but did watch this week because of Dead and Lovely was um, the original um, Wicker Man. (laughs) So, you know, which is always an enjoyable time. if very, very weird (laughs) and sing-songy and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, that's always a a fun movie. Interesting Um, choice. Who made that choice, I wonder? What, to watch that? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how they choose their movies except for the ones that come from Patreon. But... You know, I think it's eight. If somebody just chose it and went, that's what we're watching. I think that's what to be said for that. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Uh, but I also watched a movie last night called VH Yes. Um, <laughs> which... Fantastic title. Yeah, great title, right? And I really liked this. Apparently, the director is um, Tim Robbins' son. I don't know if it's Tim Robbins and Susan Sarandon's son but at right. least tim robinson his last name is robbins yep. um and it's basically uh has like a very loose plot to it in which a kid in 1987 has been given a camcorder yep. and he realizes he can tape things off of the tv as well as you know taping things in his day-to-day life yep. and the threat of this is that he is taping over his parents wedding video so there's all these little vignettes of shit that he's taped off of the television and then every now and again it'll stop and you'll get like you know 30 seconds of what's happening at his parents wedding and then go back into whatever he taped very nice um i felt like 
it really felt more like like 96, 97 to me as opposed to 87, which I think makes sense because the director is 33. Mm. So he's got more my perspective. That said, it so perfectly captures the like weirdness you would feel watching the random shit that was on television at odd hours, whether that that was like public access at 11 a.m. or an infomercial at 2 a.m. or whatever things, just how like you it always was unsettling, like very mundane things became unsettling when you watch them at these odd hours. Often, you know, the the volume would be right down because you didn't want people to know you were up. Right. Yeah. You know, so you'd be leaning right in looking at fucking, oh man, anything could happen. Yeah, and so throughout this thing, he's basically watching these, like, semi-unhinged kind of public access or, you know, all these kinds of things shows that he's taping off of the television. Mm. Also, you see him, like, with his best friend and stuff, and so there's also this thread of, like, there's a haunted house in town that they want to go see if it's actually haunted. (laughs) And um, it's only like an hour and 18 minutes. So it knows how to not overstay its welcome. There's never a point where you're just like, all right, get it over with or whatever. Really captures a moment and does it really well. And I think has like just enough arc um, without really trying to do anything. It's not meant to have a real story. Yeah. Pulls it off spectacularly. I really enjoyed VHS. (laughs) Yeah, I think you'll enjoy it. It Mm. kind of reminds me too of like the, what's your guy that you love so much? The comedy guy who did like the fake news show and all that. Chris Morris. Chris Morris. Like Mm. some of the like kind of absurd stuff you would get Mm. from him. (laughs) The stuff that I've seen, there's very much sort of shades of that um, in this as well. So I think you'd probably quite enjoy it. Fantastic. I would love to see that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's what I watched this week. That all uh, watched. That was all I watched. I've I've reached the. Uh, is there a word for finishing something and feeling bereft afterwards? Mm. As always, I think the Germans probably have a word for it. I'm sure they do. It's the same way as I felt after finishing uh, Stephen King's Dark Tower series. Um, yeah. Or it's like that. There's that Welsh word that like someone tried to claim was cultural appropriation on the TikTok. Oh, yeah. Did you see that? No. Cultural appropriation word. It was so funny. It was like an American who um, tried to say that some, oh, uh, hiraith. Hiraith, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That this American of Welsh descent tried to be like, that's our word. And like people who are not Welsh should not be using this word. (laughs) (laughs) But doesn't it mean like a... Hiraith uh, is um, is basically missing deep, whales. If you if yeah, you've deep left longing whales. for something, especially yeah. one's home. I don't know, but anyways. Well, I've got Hiraith uh, for got for a game it. I've just finished. Yes. Um, yeah. Exactly. Because I I I've, I've poured what must be like a hundred odd hours by now into. Horizon. Yeah. I feel like and every time I turned on the PS5, it was like, oh, Mark Lewis is oh, online playing Horizon. Man. And uh, I I did more side quests than I've done. You know, I t- I normally just blow past side quests, but I just I didn't want the fucking game to end. Oh. I didn't want my time in the Forbidden West to end, and it's ended. Yeah, I'm... I felt I felt a little sad for you mm. finishing this, as I know that it's brought you so much joy over the past month or two. How can you call a good video game bad value for money, for fuck's sake? Well, you know how I feel about this, considering of I'm course. someone who sinks hundreds of hours of into course. the I know games I've said that this I love before yeah. on the cast, but... 
you know, if I if I go to see a flick with the two boys, I'm paying like with obviously they're going to rinse me for snacks, so I'm paying like right, forty yeah, quid, course. fifty quid. Yeah. And that's two hours, and you're done. <laughs> right. Right. I yeah. got I I paid nothing for that game. Right. Nothing. Yeah, and what it balances out to in hours played. And I and yeah, in in terms of in terms of if if nothing more than time, and it, it you know. It was the learning curve was fantastic. It's a beautiful game. The characters are fantastic. There, there, there. I, I am, I'm well served by that game, and I can't wait for the next. I love that. Mm. Yeah, I just um started playing again, Cult of the Lamb. Yes. Talk about value. I think that game was only like thirty bucks in the first place. Yeah. And I had played like eighty hours of it or something like that. And they just released an expansion. Um, a couple weeks ago and it's like playing a whole new game so like not only is there added stuff to if you just start from the beginning there's added stuff anyway and then once you finish which I just Mm. did the other day I just beat it again uh, there's now stuff to play after that there's new quests and stuff afterwards and it's been like beautiful there is DLC for Horizon but I'm gonna get a little break (laughs) wait a little bit and then I'm gonna go back that's smart because then it's like when you're really starting to miss it you can jump back in yep go back you'll need it after like download or something where you're like oh man when you're coming down from all your adventures i am already nervous about the post i'm 44 (laughs) what does that mean uh, what does that mean mark (laughs) so uh, a bit of two festivals before now right download from 2018 and sonosphere in 2016 and both times it's been days (laughs) <laughs> before I'm anything like uh, a, a human person again, so uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess I, I'm somewhat worried for you, but you could always, you know, make good choices. Oh yeah, <laughs> but this is this is as much a result of kind of sleeping in a tent, right? Yeah, eating poorly. Yeah, I seriously can't believe you're gonna do that like that. Sounds miserable to me. Lineup I don't like anything enough to do that. Not to go. <laughs> I'm like, I could go see those people at different concerts instead of <laughs> one where I am miserable all the time. But I'm excited for you nonetheless. I know you'll have fun. That just sounds awful to me. Well, expect uh, media of my time there. I'm looking forward to it. Mm, cool. So, Mark, you pitched this week's topic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> ever since, ever since our conversation uh, with the good Doctor Ben Duffin Jones, just mm-hmm. wh- just before Christmas, was it? Was it? It was definitely last year, wasn't it? Yes. Ever since that, and I, I'm not. This isn't just Joe. I talk. I'm serious. Ever ever since that, I've been. I was left with that fucking. That word empathy in my head, right? Mm. Always, 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 always empathy. Right. And it's it helped. It was one of those it was one of those episodes that it I felt as though I talked out a lot. I felt mm-hmm. as though the opinions I heard from from you and Ben were, you know, reasoned, learned, measured, authoritative, credible. And this question of empathy has been one that has been on my mind on and off ever since. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, I wonder, is there, is there, a, is there a place be, beyond empathy? Is there, mm. 
is there a callousness? Is there a crime? Is there an action that that you can't? That isn't that resists empathy almost. That that mm, that, mm-hmm. that is empathy proof. Sure. Yeah. And we'll go. We'll we'll talk more about this in weeks to come, right? Because there, there's a particular topic that I want to kind of pick at with that yeah. kind of that 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 openness to learn and to to kind of think outside of your own skin and look at things from other angles. I, I, I badly yeah. want to talk about uh, different topics in a couple of weeks. But what, and I'm, I'm, if, if I'm finding this difficult to articulate, it's because I, I, I do find it difficult to articulate. It feels like there are different, in different parts of the world and to different people, life is worth different things to different people. Mm, mm-hmm, right. And I, I, I struggle with that. I struggle with, I struggle with what, why does geography or, you know, hereditary or where you were brought up or where you went to school or who you, who were your role models and your influences mm-hmm. can have a vastly, you know, a, a good or a detrimental impact to how much value you place on human life. It's so interesting because my sister and I had a conversation just last week um, where, you know, I think we were just sort of lamenting like the capitalist society we live in and people being evil and, you know, and like the way that a lot of people don't value other humans and human life. And we were talking about how, you know, Elon Musk thinks that people are NPCs, right? And that there's like a a good chunk. I fucking hate that Right. And that it's, there's it's a everywhere good chunk on TikTok, like, people talking about other people as other NPCs. I'm... Right. Yeah. And there's a good chunk of people who do sort of frame their world that way and think that way. And one of the things I was thinking about to your point here is like, okay, let's say that a bunch of us are NPCs, right? Maybe, or maybe we're not, but people around us are NPCs. There are NPCs sure. in the world. Should we just explain I don't know if that you rem- for those who... who oh, right. Sorry. <laughs> a non-playable character. Someone yeah. in a video game who is not played by a human being and is just sort of there to send you on quests or yeah. aid you in things within the Pad game. They're not the fucking real. scenery. They're just oh, exactly. set dressing, essentially. Yeah. Great call on that. Not everyone are gamers, I'm sure, who listen to this. So... Okay, so let's say that there's a contingent of humans who are non-playable characters. I don't know if you remember this, but when I was playing Animal Crossing, Mm. I had this horrifying sheep clown on my farm. And I hate clowns. I have always hated clowns. And I, as soon as this thing showed up, I was like, I need that to be gone. I cannot have this yeah, yeah, yeah. this weird clown on here. And every time he talked to me, I got the heebie-jeebies. I just did not like it. And so I started going to the little secretary lady, whatever her name is, and like complaining about him. <laughs> and like, I don't like the way he talks. I don't like the way he dresses, whatever. And like when he'd run up to ask me things, I would ignore him. Yeah. And then <laughs> it started like weighing on me Yeah, that I was treating him like this. And then one day he came up and he asked me if he could leave. And I started crying. <laughs> And I was like, I have been so mean to this fucking sheep clown Mm. that now he wants to leave my island. And I 
I cannot live with myself as a person who made this NPC feel well, this way. And first thing I would say me, is, first yeah. thing I would say, just super briefly, don't yeah. feel guilty about that because fucking everyone, everyone <laughs> who has ever played Animal Crossing has some shithead neighbor who they can't wait to get right. out. Yeah, it's true. But, however, mm. <laughs> as an extremely empathetic person, I could not like that he wanted to leave because of me because I had been mean mm. was something that I couldn't live with, right? I and so I kept him and I started, you know, giving him gifts and doing all these uh, kinds of things, you know. And this to me is I'm not saying everyone needs to be like that, right? Like that's extreme. I, my mm. empathy is like through the roof to a point that it's like kind of detrimental, but that when I th- try to conceptualize, right, the fact that other people don't value human life. Mm. I can't even treat an NPC poorly. And there are people who treat humans like disposable trash. That's really hard for me to wrap my head around. Same, same. Yeah. And I I know I kind of just tossed this question out at you earlier on. And again, this is something (laughs) that we'll go into in far more depth. Yes. Um, But as someone who's had a through line which has taken them through, you know, God and back again. Right. Does life, human life, become more special in the face of faith or in the face of atheism? Hmm. Which conditions? Yeah. And like I said to you before, I think we should definitely tackle this on a, like a larger level because mm. I can only speak to this through obviously without researching this or anything. I can only speak to this really through the lens of Christianity, specifically yeah, evangelical yeah, yeah, sure. Western Christianity. So to say like faith versus atheism, right, is like deeply simplifying like, of course. you know, <laughs> this versus Eastern religion or uh, indigenous spirituality yeah, 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 and yeah, things yeah. like that. Um and I think it's it is such an interesting question though because like a lot of times when I was in school, this would be like a constant like whether it was joking in some cases or like a serious sort of theological question or things like that was sort of like what reasons do you have to be good to other people if they are not made in God's image you know yep. if uh, God isn't telling you to, which I think you know is antithetical to the way that. I live, it's not because people are made in God's image that I treat them nicely. Yes. But there are a contingent of people who that is the only reason to be good to people. And you can see that in the fact that when it comes down to it, they're not really good to yes. people. Yes. <laughs> you yes. know? Yeah. Um, but I do know people who that I think they would be very empathetic people, that they would value people a lot no matter what. Mm. And their Christian faith simply deepens that for them, that, you know, they were they were born to be em- empathetic people. However, that they also add on top of that, that they think that people are children of God and that they are called by God to love mm. um, does do something to deepen what that means for them. You know, I I mean, in a, in a previous season of Joag, I mean, it was a, a, a big watershed moment to me where I kind of got my head around the fact that the reason that I find life so precious and brilliant is because it's so scarce and pointless. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's tiny, and it and it doesn't even matter. 
So right. it's so it's it, but it's literally all you've got. That right. that that makes that makes our condition super super fucking special to me and fragile. Mm-hmm. Less so than the condition of simply being around to praise and serve. <laughs> right. That yeah. That doesn't feel particularly <laughs> empathetic at all. Right. Yeah. And I think for for a lot of people, part of this is that. A thing that is obviously super harmful, right, is that uh, for evangelical Christians, you believe like you are a sinner, right? <laughs> and you are yeah, inherently yeah, 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 yeah. a sinner and all these kinds of things. That said, again, for people who are very um, sincere in their faith, uh, I know that what that sort of translates out to is this idea that it doesn't matter what reason a person might be struggling or things like that, you help them. So we're like... You, uh, people might think that someone needs to prove their worth being helped, you know, that, uh, someone on the street, uh, who is, you know, why is someone on the street? What did they do to end up there? Are they worthy poor? Are they unworthy poor? Things like that. Um, things that I think people of all faiths and walks of life and things like that struggle with for many Christians, um, they and certainly not it's again not all christians this is a big problem in america but for many christians they think it's not my job to ask that i've been called to make people have a better life and that doesn't even necessarily mean they need to minister to them to do that i see you know um and so it does cause some people to go listen we're all we're all born with the sinful condition and none of us deserve the grace that we're given. Uh, so it's not my job to determine who is worthy of grace because we all aren't and we all are. So, you know, there is something to that as well, I think, mm. you know, to say that uh, I think obviously a lot of the worst tendencies of Christians tend to be sort of amplified because those are the people who are in power and make terrible rules about things. But I certainly know people who have a better sense of the value of any life simply because, you know, they know it's not their place to assess that value. Uh, Thinking about things geographically, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Do do you know where the USA comes in terms of uh, murder rates annually per 100,000 occupants in the world? I don't. No. Neither do I. Neither do I. Um, <laughs> oh wait, 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 wait. No, well, the U- the UK is quite low. Uh, One point two sure. murders per year per hundred thousand. Uh, yeah, very low. It is one of the lowest in the world. Care to take any guesses for me of the highest? I mean, I'm guessing we're either the highest or we're up there. <laughs> Actually, no. You're not. You're not top five. Oh wow, that's impressive. Yes. Um, Russia. Nope. Interesting. Go on, I'll give you one more go at the top. One more go. At if you the get top. if you get one in the top five, you get a prize. <laughs> um, uh, I'm gonna say, um, I don't know. I have no idea. Okay, coming in at number one with a homicide rate of fifty-two people per hundred thousand inhabitants per year, El Salvador. 
oh, okay. I don't, for some reason, like South America, like Central and South America did not even occur to me. And oh, I yeah. do know well, that like Colombia and things yeah. like that have a lot uh, of Honduras, Venezuela, Jamaica, Lesotho in South Africa. They are the top five. I probably could have guessed South Africa. I didn't know Lesotho yeah. was particularly violent, but they are in the middle of South Africa. so Right in the middle, landlocked, <laughs> fucking smack in the middle. Lots of killing right. going on. Fascinating, um, okay. Homicide uh, murder rates in the UK peaked in 2018, thanks to our good friend, Mr. COVID-19. Wait, that caused homicide to spike? It did. Lots of murders. Hmm, Interesting. Domestic abuse and so on. Oh, yeah. No, that makes sense. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. But they've dropped down annually since. And now, at least in 2021, at least, uh, we were just back to pre-COVID murder rates. That's so depressing. Isn't it? It just makes you realize, like, you know, how potentially locked in people can get. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, for those domestic violence situations, all it takes is shutting the door and bam, murders go up. Yep, exactly. Fucking hell. Um, uh, Very encouraging to read this week, though, that it's finished. Oh, yeah. So that's great. There's no no more COVID. It doesn't exist anymore. We're all fine. It's officially ended. And... I then went down the rabbit hole of because it, it it feels as though look and obviously only the worst crimes get reported right only the mm-hmm. worst crimes get media airtime but it also well, that's feels, not true as yeah, some of my again, research even, showed <laughs> even as I said that I kind of it yeah. didn't pass a sniff test because mm-hmm. you know the when is the news on always the news is always fucking always on mm-hmm. it feels as though murder is now more callous than it's been. Mm. less, I don't know, more of a, a whimsical kind of choice that people make. I don't know. Right, yeah. Yeah, it's am interesting I, I, because... Am I articulating this right? Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah, no, I, I get what you mean. Um, So, like, of, on the one hand, right, like, news is curated. So, obviously, one of the things that we've yes. seen in the past, right, when it comes to what news, what murders, things like that make the news. It obviously has to fit a narrative, which usually is it's inner city violence. It's, uh, you know, where liberals are not having enough police and, you know, that kind of thing, which is not accurate to what actually murders are like. Mm. Um, In fact, in America, the all the top states with the highest murder um, counts are red states. Um, So nothing to do with that but that's what kind of fits on the news Mm. we also have been seeing some lately what i think is curated and intentional news about people frivolously killing people um so you know gun violence in places like where someone was turning around i think twice it happened recently where people were turning Uh, around in someone's driveway and someone shot them uh one a young boy who knocked on the wrong door going to pick his brother up Um, and was shot Um, all these different kinds of things like that I think this is a brilliant and calculated move to show what gun violence actually looks like as opposed to like mass shootings which we have become completely numb to and still somehow while they happen constantly we look at them as extraordinary events that we don't need to worry about Um, that's a fascinating angle do you do you suspect then that news in your particular landmass is (laughs) subtly trying to illustrate the mundanity of gun violence the daily fucking grind of it yeah i think that there is 
an organization or something, maybe a gun violence organization, something like that, that is yeah. trying to push this narrative to mm. change it from the like mass shooting panic to like, this is the dumb shit that happens every day. Because I don't think those like seven things that we saw happen a week or two ago are mm. unusual. I think that probably happens every day. Yeah. But we focus on the mass shootings and things like that, that we easily sort of dismiss. But to your point, I think what you're getting at is this sort of like we're seeing a lot more reports of people <laughs> killing people on a whim, killing people yes. uh, at the like slightest negative emotion <laughs> or yep. over really dumb stuff that feels like if this has always been happening, <laughs> we certainly weren't really hearing about it. Like it feels like impulse control is at a sort of weird low and this yeah. value Yes. For human life that you've been talking about feels like people are like, what's happening? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's that's very much the vibe that I'm feeling. Because some of the there was, you know, like you said, there was the girl who got in the wrong car. There was the fucking the, the kid who rang the guy's doorbell mm -hmm. and got shot. And I, I'm paraphrasing the quote, but the guy said afterwards, you don't be you don't be ringing doorbells in 2023 for fuck's sake. I'm, I'm right. I'm locked like, and loaded, like, horrible. Yeah, right. Like, uh, for, for a ringing doorbell, then don't mm. have one. Or, like, don't have, I don't know, put a big don't knock, will shoot sign on your door if that's your perspective towards things, because people will knock at doors. Yeah. I guess I think what I'm struggling with is the the notion that that as, oh, my, is, is that it? As the world gets smaller. Hmm. And as we're all just literally a screen away from contacting anyone, mm -hmm. does, I don't know, has, has that contributed? Is it mm -hmm. even, is it even a thing that, I don't know, is he, human life feels less valuable in some, in some people's eyes? I don't know. I don't know. I'm not articulating it very well. Yeah, well, and I know it's it's because it's hard to articulate something that like we don't have any form of like evidence of it. It's all no, no, exactly. It's, it's anecdotal. Vibes. It's just watching. It's vibes, which I know is is yeah, coming vibes. from the news, which is in in its in itself <laughs> right, a, which is curated, a, and a vibe like corrupted. Yeah, and I know like as far back as even the '90s and especially the 2000s, there were talks about like so. One of the things that I found an article about was the phenomenon of teens murdering over getting their cell phones or video games taken away. And I found an article from 2009 that sort of references this phenomenon and, and points out that like there was there had been a case like 13 years earlier, so late 90s of this happening. And just a few of these these kinds of things where like uh, a 13 year old girl in Buffalo, New York, um, her grandmother had taken away her cell phones her cell phone, and the girl then waited a week, packed her clothes, doused her house with lighter fluid, and set it ablaze while 10 members of her family slept inside, including her eight-year-old sister, who suffers from cerebral palsy. Uh, most of them got out except for her step-grandfather, who died in the fire. How old was um, this girl? She was 13, right? Um... There were uh, others, like uh, in Michigan, a teen who shot both of his parents uh, over a cell phone, uh, an Ohio teenager who killed his mother over a video game. Mm. Um, and one of the things, to your point about this 
idea of like um, in our smaller world, our interconnected world, is there something to this? One of the things that this article sort of points out in making sure not to say, you know, video games cause kids to murder or things like that. What they did say is that as young people are growing up more and more in a world where their phones are their lifelines and they make friends through video games and things like that, when they are punished by taking away these things, it causes them to become frantic. Yes. And to, you know, they don't have as one of the the experts they talked to in this, that they lack perspective, you know, of like, is this a forever problem? Is this, you know, is human, is this more valuable than the life of your family? Things like that, that this sort of uh, the panic that they feel from having their interconnectedness cut off completely just, you know, makes them go oh, I get completely, that. yeah, just missed. I get and the, they the moment murder. where you, you know you've left your phone somewhere that you don't know and you don't know where it is, right. is, is horrific, even as an adult. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, uh, and so these are, you know, reactions from, and like I said, this is 2009, so we're talking about people who are adults now mm. who have these kinds of extremely powerful reactions to um, any kind of disconnectedness uh, that can end up in people murdering in moments that are absolutely frivolous. There's no reason that getting your cell phone taken away or something like that should cause you to kill, um, except for this just sense of sheer panic and lack of perspective of how big that actual problem is. You hit the nail on the head with that term frivolous. It, it's mm. frivolous murder. Yeah. The fuck, man? And <laughs> it, it is. It's a, it's, a, it's a lack of perspective. It's a lack of, of any kind of judgment to kill over something like that. And to kill right. your own fucking family, your own kind of, you know, it's insane. Elderly, infirm, disabled members mm-hmm. of your own family over something yeah. like that. It's fucking... Crazy. Yeah, or even the story that I think kind of kickstarted this dis- as a discussion too was I, yeah. I texted you. Yes. Uh, oh, the a Facebook week one. Or two, yeah, yeah, In- a week or two ago. Um, that I actually saw this one as it was unfolding. The Facebook posts were still up and everything as this happened. I think it had been like forty-five minutes or something when I sent you the screenshots from it. Mm. Um, this was a, an 18-year-old named Isaiah Fitzgerald was killed in Missouri. So this is April 25th um, after a Facebook argument with another teen named Tanner Watkins. And, you know, I have all these screenshots from it, but the, the gist of it, because it's written in Gen Z speak and all that kind of stuff and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, fake ghetto from a white boy kind of situation. But ultimately what happened was that Tanner Watkins had posted a picture of him and his girlfriend. Isaiah Fitzgerald laugh reacted it, which Tanner took just simply issue a laugh with. Smiling. Just a laugh react. That's it. Uh, Tanner in the comments tagged him and was like, "Why are you laugh reacting? That's my girl or whatever." Uh, Tanner, I mean uh, Isaiah, over the course of this conversation, basically was like, "I laughed because you know your girlfriend has been getting with my brother." Um, and this escalated to kind of both of them doing sort of a, like, meet me outside situation, which they did, and Tanner killed Isaiah and injured the girl that, um, he was with. 
Was it an intentional act of murdering him, or did it just... From everything know, he... I can tell, yeah. yeah I yeah, think yeah. he intended to kill him, probably kill both of them. Um, and it was over a laugh react. Yeah. On Facebook. Yeah. Like... <laughs> yeah. It's, it's an incredible thing to... To behold, just the idea that almost maybe, okay, maybe the issue isn't so much the interconnectedness changing our brain, the smaller world or whatever. Maybe it's not happening more per se, Yeah, yeah except yeah. that we are connected in ways that allow us to have miscommunications, to, um, you know, talk a big game. Sure. <laughs> when, I mean, there's no, there's no nuance in an emoji, would, is there? Right, exactly. And it wouldn't have happened if that emoji did not exist, if this was not on Facebook, whatever. Mm. Um, maybe it's giving us a different way to miscommunicate with one another and to, like, make huge deals. I see, like, I have friends from, like, growing up and stuff like that who grew up in, like, rougher situations in my hometown in Massachusetts who constantly on Facebook are talking about some drama that's happened and someone whose baby daddy did this and who, you know, got in this situation, yada, yada. And every now and again, there's a funeral for someone who got shot. Um, And, like, I think a lot of this stuff, like, certainly there's class issues and things like that, that, you know, people in poverty are more likely to, um, you know, be victims of violence and to, you know, be in communities in which violence happens more often. Mm. Um, But certainly more shit goes down when people start calling each other out in public forums than did before. Uh, The the public aspect, I think, is a factor. Um, Mm -hmm. If everyone has seen you putting a laugh emoji under my fucking post, I have to do something about this, obviously. Right. It's, it's a matter of public record. Yeah. Like, and I'm not a man if I don't go and confront mm. you for laugh reacting at my girlfriend. I, I am I am all I'm I'm still able to be stunned <laughs> yeah. at, at how callous and, you know, on on a whim, a crime like that can be committed. There's mm-hmm. um, a case here in the UK going back a few years. Right. This was in December 2014. Where a, a, a geezer in Scotland, right, a guy by the name of Ross Taggart, um, this is shortly to pop up on a next Netflix documentary, I believe. Oh, um, okay. A guy called Ross Taggart. Um, it's just before Christmas, uh, 2014, and this guy has attacked and strangled his mum, right? Mm-hmm. I love a matricide case, you know this. This is true, yes. Uh, but fucking hell. In the aftermath, this guy, right, he... Wraps the corpse up in a sheet and some tape, hides it under a caravan that, that she owned in a nearby caravan park, just stashes the body, takes jewellery off her corpse, sells it. Wow. Uh, his takes own her, mother. His own mother takes her credit card and funds nights out using her credit wow. card, buys himself cocktails and meals. Some Casey Anthony card. shit right there. Bonkers. The very next day, right? The next day, while his fucking mother is, is stiffening under a caravan, he hooks up with some girl on an app. You know what I mean? He goes to some mm-hmm. fucking girl's house uh, and, and gets some. Uh, he's writing on Facebook. Just want to thank everyone for their support this week. Hopefully she'll turn up. You know? How could you be so fucking callous and brazen, man? How? 
Do you know about, um, so this is in the news this week because the case finally just finished and, you know, returned a guilty verdict on this, but about Lori Vallow Daybell and Chad Daybell? No, I don't think Because so. this is another situation like this. So this was, they were a Mormon couple who basically ended up creating their own spinoff, almost like a cult, except not really that many people followed them. It's just like yeah. their own family, essentially. Um, they were both married to other people, uh, left them, and in their own private ceremony, sealed themselves to each other, which is like a big no-no in the Mormon church. Oh, really? Um, yes, you do not do that. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, and on top of that, basically realized, like, everyone around them was in their way. So they, like, killed uh, his wife um, and her brother and then uh, her two children, um, she had three kids. They killed two of the kids. One of them was grown out of the house, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then after all of this, they went to Kauai and like chilled out on the beach and like Dateline tracked them down, just like chilling out, having drinks, like hanging on the beach, feeling totally cool. And they were like, oh, we have like no comment. Like they pretended like, the kids were staying with friends in Arizona and all this stuff and just like lied to everyone about where these kids were. Mm. And then were completely like unfazed about the fact that they had murdered like four or five people directly related to them. Insane. How can you be like this? That's what I mean when I talk about that place beyond empathy is, Mm -hmm. does it exist? What what were the kind of the factors, right. the social factors, the familial factors that led to them doing that? Right. Yeah, exactly. And I think I wonder, you know, does... I guess empathy doesn't necessarily mean forgiving it. It doesn't necessarily mean um, thinking something is justified or not. Obviously, this is the wrong word, but for lack of a yeah. better word, evil. Yeah. Yes, you know, yes, like, yes. People can do things that are vile and you can go, okay, here are some things that may have made them this way, whether that's like they were abused growing up or they have bipolar disorder or um, or borderline or something like that. And it's like those aren't it doesn't excuse anything and there's nothing we don't have to excuse it. The empathy merely says like that's a that's a person who has, you know, been through some things and so do they deserve like torment as a result maybe in my own like personal like uh what they did was horrifying and all that kind of stuff but at the end of the day on a societal level and things like that is that how we respond to people or do we understand all people are people you know yeah yeah and and you know so much more plays into it you know how do you Mm -hmm. feel about what is the threshold for denying someone the chance to rehabilitate? Right. Yeah, exactly. Two, two different people may have two completely different ideas about how just where the kind of the outer limit is. Right. Yeah. Oh, we're going to talk more about this. I guarantee you. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it's a question that we will continuously be, gra- be grappling with and one that, you know, as we continue this podcast, unfortunately, there will be more cases that test our ability to empathize with people and that make us completely just confused at how humans Mm. work you know what what's broken here in people that can cause them 
And not everyone is like, you know, that, I don't know. Yeah. The reasonings why people don't value human life, as you said, I think is what's really fascinating. Yes. You know, because in the places that you named that have the most murders per capita and things like that. Mm. Those it's because of like gangs, it's because of drugs, things like that. You know yeah, yeah, why yeah, 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 yeah. this exists. Um and there's something to that, like it's there is an easy empathy while also thinking it's vile because people are raised up into this shit with no other option and are trained you know, to if, be if anything, it's probably easier for me to empathize with a young cartel member who's mm-hmm. who's who's, you know, shot a rival than it is Ross Taggart strangling his mum. Right, exactly. And just, or like I said, like Casey Anthony, you know, killing her kid and then going out and partying, you know? (laughs) Like, yeah, there is, we understand why that happens and the, the things that lead to that. It's so much harder to explain why does some middle class dude snap and shoot someone in a movie theater for throwing popcorn at him, you know? Like, why do people who have everything in place in life suddenly snap and do stuff like this. Why are people psychopaths? You know, why do people do insanely uh, manipulative, horrible things to people and not mm. seem to have any remorse about it? Mm. You're Kyle Rittenhouse's, right? Like, how do you exactly. go specifically to go murder three people, you know, at a thing, come back, once you're, you know, acquitted, then go and just like live your life like you just you're a hero. That's that's the bit. That's the bit that mm-hmm. I struggle with. Obviously, I struggle with the fucking act of killing and dark, horrific shit like that. But it's that it's that type of yeah. crime yeah. that they were they were here. Now they're not. And I don't give a fuck because I did it. Right. Yeah. Just simply not seeing strange other man, people strange mindset to me. Yeah. As humans. NPC mindset. NPC mindset for sure. It's horrifying. Mm. Uh, so that's that's something else to be anxious about, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the the newest thing for us to be worried about is that we are NPCs that someone does not care about snuffing out mm. because we looked at them the wrong way. But, dear listeners, no one's going to snuff you out. I can tell you that. No. Mm-mm. Very confidently. Not this week, at least. <laughs> Not this week. <laughs> yes, I'm willing to say that. Good. With some degree yeah. of certainty. Thanks for listening, folks, if, you, if you've uh, dealt with me kind of meandering through some thoughts. Yeah, it's a Joag therapy episode. That's what it is. That's what it is. We're all Hopefully you're all here for it, too. Let us know your thoughts, if you have any, on this particular just meandering journey and how yeah. you deal with yeah. the NPC mindset. And genuinely, I really do want to hear if you've had some moments that you were there for, you experienced, you felt so and and experienced, but you ain't got a fucking clear what went down. I would love to know those. Yes, please. And of course, Mm. as you do that, one thing you got to do. You got to stay spooky, lads.